Blog Talk Radio.
welcome you today, December 29th, 2019, to another episode of Africa on the Moon. Our theme this evening will concentrate on planning and controlling by force. Planning and controlling by force. That's going to be the nature of our theme tonight. Like always, we invite you to call in and share your views and your perspectives by calling in at 323-679-0841. And our lineup will consist of the first segment of the show, which will be what's going on in your commu- what's going on in your world and the community, followed by a discussion on today's theme. So at this time, like always, you know how we get started with our party. We will briefly introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. We will first start off with Brother Haki. We welcome you to Africa on the Moon. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness. And, you know, I had an opportunity this week, Brother Africa, to speak to a petty bourgeois politician, and I find it uh, extremely extraordinary in terms of the kind of things that he was articulating. But one thing that was very clear to me, the more I listened to him, the more I understood or began to believe that the question of control is a bigger factor in terms of the inner workings of capitalism than any other variable. Now, in thinking about that, you know, back in 2015, a public policy poll was conducted asking Republicans if they're in favor of bombing Agrabah. 30% of Republicans were in favor of bombing Agrabah, where 57% were not sure. Now, oddly enough, Brother Africa, Agrabah does not exist. Agrabah is a fictional nation in uh, Aladdin, which is the uh, animated cartoon. So the mere fact that the name uh, Agrabah sounds something akin to maybe in the, the Middle East or Africa, the question in terms of bombing came relevant in the minds of people who took the Republicans who took this questionnaire. So this question of control, uh, particularly as it relates to bombing, uh, was very, very evident. Secondly, you know, um, there was a situation in Minnesota where white teens uh, told a uh, Native American woman to go back to her own country. Now, how ill-informed do you have to be to not know that this country was stolen from her people? Now, it would have been apropos if the indigenous woman would have replied, uh, you know, I am home, wanted to go back to your country. So it would have made more sense for, you know, for her to say that, but she didn't. So one thing is very clear that when you when you think about this kind of ignorance, this this um, this uh, desire for control at all other costs, it's very very interesting. Even when control meets head on with historical reality, a lot of people still don't quite get it. So I find that very very stra- uh, fascinating in terms of the uh, propensity or the desire for control. Thirdly, now the State Department records indicated that it has trade with Wakanda. Now most of us know that Wakanda is a make believe nation in East Africa in the movie Black Panther. Now, apparently, imperialism position is that, you know, if they had a relationship with, vibranium, with uh, Wakanda, it would have access to the vibranium in which you could steal. But unfortunately, vibranium doesn't exist. It's a fiction. It's an imagination. Uh, it's something that doesn't exist. It's, mental, I mean, it's an element that doesn't exist. But nonetheless, uh, the algorithms of these uh, State Department computers have already picked this up and turned this country, quote-unquote, Wakanda, actually having to haven't existed. So it speaks values in terms of propensity, in terms of uh, preparedness, in terms of being able to want to control a, a country, even though the country doesn't exist. Uh, thirdly, and finally, uh, brother Af- finally, Brother Africa, unemployment is viewed as a necessary increase in profits, but unemployment kills potential customers. Statistically, for every point of unemployment, 
40,000 people died. Now, wouldn't it be more profitable if 40,000 people actually lived? So the mere fact that the people are dying, which lessens their profitability, speaks six values in terms of the desire for control. It has nothing to do with economics per se. It has more to do with control. I think that's very, 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 very interesting that we, that we underscore that point. Now, at some point in history, the absurdity of what is considered the norm or this whole, this whole pursuit of condition or control has to be questioned. In our, in our ability to critique, if our ability to critique is impaired by perception, shaped by social convention or propaganda, does this leave humanity, specifically the African community, unprepared for traumatic change as those who seek power uh, understand that um, greater control is needed? Now, institutions are so critical because if we talk about clarification, particularly we talk about social political phenomena, we need institutions to provide that kind of clarity because without that kind of clarity, there can be no cohesion. Without cohesion, there can be no organization. And without organization, realistically speaking, there's no way you confront organized forces that are uh, diametrically opposed to the interests of, 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 of an oppressed people. So clearly we need institutions, and I always encourage people to get busy in, in the build those institutions, because without the institutions, the, the, the prospects in the society become very, very grim. So that's, that's not hyperbole. That's, in fact, the reality. So I encourage people to get busy building institutions. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father Brother Anthony, we now bring in Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, welcome to Africa on the Move. Peace, everybody. Brother Jay here. Looking forward to another type of program. Appreciate the opportunity to be a panelist. And following Brother Jabari, we bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your participation. At this point in time, you are listening to Africa on the Moon. Like always, our first segment program would be what's going on in our world, what's going on in your world and the community. We encourage you to call in to share with us and our listening audience on what's going on in your world community. But before we do this, what we're going to do is have a quick station break. And when we come back, we'd like to hear from you as well on what's going on in your world and this community. We're going to pause for this cause. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon. You're a black man, you're an African. 
But if you come from Clarendon, and if you come from Portland, and if you come from Westmoreland, you're an African. So don't you where you come from, as long as you're a black man, you're an African. No mind your nationality, have got the identity of an African. Extraordinary young man um, 
one of the things about this young man, he had a strong sense in terms of what was right and what was wrong. And normally what happens in the criminal justice system in America, what they do is that they pressure you to, to take plea agreements. So even if you're innocent of a particular crime, it doesn't matter. They pressure you by threatening you with more time if you don't plead. But this young man was exceptional. He refused to plead, even though he knew that by not pleading that he would pay the price, you know, from the system as a result of not pleading. He didn't. And he was he was very clear on his humanity. And one of the things reason reason why he stayed in trouble with the with the correctional officers while he was incarcerated at Rikers Island was that he refused to allow them to treat him less than a human being. He, re, he refused to allow the other inmates to treat him as less than a human being. And so it speaks values in terms of the kind of personality, the kind of uh, the kind of persona he brought forth in terms of his uh, clarity, in terms of who he is as a human being. In fact, one of the things is when the more people understand their humanity, the less people are willing to um, to negotiate or, negotiate their humanity away. So if that means that you got to pay the price in terms of maintaining humanity, then that's precisely what you do. And, and broadly speaking, one of the reasons why you talk about a situation like in the Afghanistan and Somalia, the reason why those those countries will prevail, they're going to, eventually they're going to kick the West out of their countries, is because the people got such sense of humanity. And no amount of bullets, no amount of bombs or missiles is going to diminish that sense of humanity. And so if a people is endowed with that kind of humanity, then they're going to stand at all costs in terms of uh, protecting and fighting for their humanity. So this young man epitomizes what it is in terms of standing up for your humanity. And, and as I said before, that's one of the reasons why the system victimized him, because they wanted to make an example of him. And uh, he never folded. He was consistent during the three, three years he spent there on Rikers Island. So I just want to say that, you know, unfortunately, the young man is not uh, with us today, and he would have been a great leader. Uh, he was only 21 years of age at the time that he, uh, he took his life. But he's an extremely bright young man. Uh, he was extremely principled, and uh, he understands his humanity. So he'd be greatly missed, and, uh, you know, he definitely, would, if he'd have been around, he would have been, potentially he'd have been one of the great leaders uh, of our times. But in any event, uh, I just wanted to, to throw that out there. Okay, thank you, Brother Hackey. Brother Afton, what's going on in your world and community? Uh, certainly. Um, this is uh, the Kwanzaa period, which follows which falls between Christmas and New Year's Day. And um, uh, let's see, I have the honor of knowing one of the uh, founders of uh, the Kwanzaa ceremony personally. He was being honored at a Kwanzaa program I attended tonight. And today the principal is Ujama, which means... uh, uh, socialism or uh, cooperative economics, and uh, is uh, and the significance of that is the fact that um, that those who don't really understand the quantum principles, the Ngusu Saba, really only pra- only uh, uh, pay attention to them during this time period where really it should be a year-round, uh, uh, you know, pra- set of practices that you, indic- that you, that you put into practice uh, on a, a, a year-in, year-out, on a daily basis. And it was pointed out that, uh, that we would be more advanced if we did actually take these principles to heart and implement them on a on a on a daily basis, not just around uh, you know this time of year. 
and also the fact that uh, that that, uh, that there's uh, uh, Milana Karanga uh, spotlighted, but it was an organization called Us that actually founded Kwanzaa under his leadership. But uh, but it, uh, but we tend to individualize everything because of the emphasis that the society places on individualism. So we don't realize the importance of organization and of being organized. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Bobby, what's going on in your world in the community? Uh, on my news I want to share, I want to highlight this article that I read from February of this year on CNBC entitled, Consumer Debt Hits $4 Trillion. And to summarize what this article details, it details that um, the U.S. in particular is in a record number of debt that could far exceed $4 trillion, and this is consumer debt that they're just speaking about. The fact that consumer debt can exceed $4 trillion is indicating that the banks are making big money given you have a record number of persons that have credit cards. Now, the dangerous thing about these kind of economic trends is that it means that clearly in regards to income, people are not having incomes that they can live off of because they're trying to find other means of supplementing their income, even if it means borrowing money that they're going to have to pay back um, with outrageous interest rates. So as you see in terms of the name of the game, what the condition we're living under, it's all about finding ways to keep people indebted. And the problem with this is, in various ways, you often hear about how people are doing something that um, is an old tactic where you hear the term debtor's prison. I'm in debt, I go to prison because I cannot pay back what I'm indebted to. So you're going to see that happening more and more often if you're talking about this kind of debt existence. And not only that, they're going to take your resources um, that you do have to try to use that um, to supposedly supplement the debt. But yet again, that's just a way to take property and do whatever they choose to do with it. It's not necessarily about helping someone in debt. It's about taking from those that don't have. Thank you, Jabari. Next, we go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, 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 it's been an interesting week. Uh, uh, I make a personal appeal to people to uh, be careful uh, in terms of strokes. Uh, A friend of mine had a stroke, and uh, I know a lot of people who had strokes, and so I don't know how, I don't know, I need to find out more what you need to do in order to avoid them, but but, uh, that was a big deal this week, because I like to politicize that. Uh, other than that, I'm going to leave it right there. I, I won't say anything about the president and the impeachment situation. All right. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Brother Moses. You know, one thing is about the stroke. I know one of the things they talk about, stroke is something that, you know, can come upon you and not aware of it. And I think um, the issue of blood pressure, constant high blood pressure, People need to be well, and I know in the African community they claim, you know, a lot of us have blood pressure that are very, very high, and not well of it because really don't show no sim- no sign, no symptoms. 
So, you know, like always, you know, the longer you've been around, the more you can be service to your people. So I also would like encourage folks to try to at least be aware of your pressure and try to do whatever you can do to stay healthy. But it's very hard to stay healthy in this society because it seems to be that um, we live in a society where they make money of your sickness. Y'all respond to that statement? Uh, that is true. Unfortunately, there's very little emphasis in this society placed on preventative health care. And uh, the the key to prevention is monitoring your uh, or your uh, or your vital society, uh, uh, vital signs carefully, and having a good relationship with uh, your your physician. If you have one, and if you can uh, cultivate a good relationship with that, and and, and have regular checkups, uh, and you know, and uh, that's the key. It doesn't uh, uh, prevent a stroke necessarily, but it minimizes the possibility that you'll get one if you monitor your health on a regular basis. That seems to be critical, uh, in addition to blood pressure, stress level, uh, weight, uh, diet, you know, that sort of thing, as much as you control. It is hard, it, very hard in this society because there's the very little emphasis put on prevention. And also, and also, uh, you know, you, uh, you, know you, 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 you can encourage to consume rather than uh manage or control your consumption of uh of uh everything food drink whatever you know and uh so so i think uh, uh you know having a main, maintained monitoring uh all, all your, your your vitals is critical in terms of trying to minimize that yeah, well, you know, I I think clearly, you know, uh, when it comes to what you what you consume is ever important. You know, those foods, those fatty foods that contribute to the uh, to the hardening of the arteries and that kind of thing, you want to stay away from. So, the, a lot of consumption of a lot of meat and uh, specifically red meat is something you might want to seriously contemplate doing. Uh, secondly, I think, and something which, which is somewhat beyond your control, is the question around stress. That is the, that is the big one. Uh, in this society, we the the, the uh, actually um, the uh, life expectancy is actually declining of all Western nations in the, in the entire world. Uh, U.S. has the lowest. So the level of stress that people are being subjected to on a daily basis has a, a a phenomenal impact in terms of you know high blood pressure. So the question is terms the question is how do you manage the stress? Uh, one of the things I think we want to do, if to the extent that's possible. Is to alleviate or avoid any type of uh, in, any type of debt. If it's going to get you in debt, don't even do it. You know, I know that's easier said than done. Uh, it's not always feasible. But if you're in a position where you don't, you can definitely do without. Maybe a hardship, but you can do without. Then by all means, you should do without. You should do, you shouldn't you shouldn't take on additional stress because that's simply not good for you. And of course, you know, going you know, getting your blood pressure checked, or, you know, even getting your um, the equipment that you can you, you can purchase, you know, in terms of checking your blood pressure is also a must. But I think those things have to happen to the extent that you try to manage uh, high blood pressure. I think there are other factors contribute to high blood pressure, uh, you know, um, you know, which is which is uh, which is not documented. 
That's only that I won't I'm gonna talk about that. But anyway, so I, I, I think that uh doing those things is probably the best way to manage, you know, uh, uh high blood pressure the potential for stroke. Well Julian Pamis, when we look at this this half situation inside of the US and probably most capitalist countries around the world, it becomes very clear that um you know, if, if 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 you're part of corporate America, you're free carte blanche to do whatever you want. There's not a day that goes by where you don't hear something publicly about poisons being put in food, put in the water system, and no one held accountable. Um, they talk about. When you drink bottled water, you know, there's a chance you like to drink in plastic. Not only in bottled water, but also in the production of rice, et cetera. Um, you know, it's just, it's just amazing in terms of even now and then when you turn to the news, they talk about how certain foods at the grocery store are being contaminated or certain things are in it, but nobody's held accountable. And no one even talk about the consequences that these things may create inside a human body. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how do you make public announcements in which in your food supply they admit that they put certain stuff in it, like recently in Subway, they're talking about they put arsenic, they put all kinds of stuff in their breads. And um, there are no, no consequences in terms of accountability, in terms of dealing with these kind of um, decisions. They may have, and they do have, profound impact on long-term people have. Y'all response to that situation? How do we deal with that? How 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 how, how does society should deal with that? Well, this is another situation where it's just easier said than done, and that is to uh, minimize the consumption of processed foods. And uh, if you don't live in a, in an area that's ra- rather r- rural or that you have a lot of open space where you can actually grow your own, uh, your own vegetables, uh, it's very hard to put into practice. But, uh, but you know, uh, eat, uh, you know, uh, fresh food as much as possible, particularly fresh vegetables and what have you. Uh, let's see, and pay attention uh, to labels, even though those aren't always reliable, and they may not mention all the chemicals that may be put in, uh, be put into your uh, food. Uh, but uh, you know, study those if you can, and uh, prepare as much of your own food as as you possibly can, especially. If you're following a particular diet, like a vegetarian diet, for example, uh, you know the uh, let's see, it doesn't it, it minimizes the risk, but it doesn't eliminate and retire entirely because in this system uh, they uh, they don't necessarily have to disclose every all the ingredients they put into food products. Which is why you want to avoid processed foods as much as possible, if you can. 
And again, especially if you're uh, poor and your resources are scarce, then you're you're especially vulnerable to what uh, what is out on the market, unfortunately. Well, brother Africa, you know, you know, you know the uh, the the problem is, you're you're talking about uh, corporations with uh, um, monopoly power, and the problem with having monopoly power is that uh, they get everything they want. Uh, when we look at the current White House, and when we talk about the Orange Menace and his policies, he's very, very, very clear that all of these safeguards in terms of the water, food, and so forth and so on, all those standards that the historically that existed are being wiped away. In other words, what's happening is that by getting rid of those standards, you increase profitability for corporations. Life doesn't life doesn't mean anything in terms of pursuit of profit, and that's what people in society don't understand. And so we talk about the level of uh, lead in water. Now, they're saying that uh, uh, the current policy is that the amount of lead in water uh, can damn near double. double. I mean, this is, this is even at the current levels, uh, you know, even at half of that level, the, uh, that kind of lead is problematic in terms of the imp- Ill, Ill impact it has on the brain. But they're saying that they can almost double that now under the Orange, uh, the Orange Menace White House. So clearly, this, this this notion in terms of profitability precedes any concern when it comes to the question of health. And I think if, if, until we understand and understand the real challenges that we face, then it's only conceivable way in terms of you know in terms of actually you know addressing this issue. And superimposed upon that, we have a situation where the Food and Drug Administration actually they've been downsizing the Food and Drug Administration. In other words, what they're saying, we want to create a, a narrative in which it's damn impossible to even evaluate the quality of the food that's coming to this country. Keep in mind that the food that comes across the borders, never, it doesn't even check it anymore. It just comes right into the country because it's about the probability. It's not about how safe it is. Now, when you think about it in terms of the kind of low wages people are, are getting in terms of you know, food preparation, then you can, you can, I mean, it's not hard to surmise that there are a lot of people very, very pissed off in terms of food preparation who work in those facilities who don't give a damn about what happens to that food. In fact, some of them might even contribute to the to the uh, poor quality of food by by spitting on it or doing whatever in terms of you know facilitating you know a lawsuit from you know from somebody out there in the public, something because they're so angry at how they're being treated in these facilities in terms of you know food production. So clearly, you know, brother Africa, you know, the question is, what can you do without organization? Because if ultimately, it's going to call for mass organization, and but people got to first and foremost understand what the issues are, and that's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, you know, um, people feel powerless to the most, to, to some to a large extent, and so therefore, when you start telling them, "Listen, we got to stand up for the quality of food, for the quality of the water," we have to, we have no choice. Well, most people hear you, but they don't hear you because, as far as they're concerned, what can you do in terms of impacting the policy? Because clearly, the, the corporations have the upper hand in terms of, you know, their goals and aspirations. And of course, you know, we, as I stated before, that goes aspirations what profitability. It's all about making money. So it's a very it's a very difficult situation for all in, for for the citizenry, but uh, without mass organization, there's no conceivable way in terms of addressing this power imbalance that exists in society. Uh, when we talk about the the lack of power that the masses of people have versus the immense power of corporations, so it's a very difficult problem. Which speaks to importance of people being organized. And importance of permanent political organization, uh, because an organized people, a disorganized people, cannot do anything 
against an organized enemy? You know, speaking to the issues that Brother Jabari raised in the context of consumer debt, um, for the wealthy and the powerful who create this scenario, consumer debt is a fundamental component of the, of, of the capitalist system. Because what would happen to the system if people was not in debt, if people attempted to save money and then spend? And this is why you can see they want everything to be indebted because this is a form, as we're going to talk about later on, a form of planning and a form of controlling. They intentionally know, for example, if you're a young student just going to school for the first time to university, never been away from home before, they make it so easy for these youth to get credit cards, knowing that they have not acquired the, the, the discipline and understanding of this whole concept of economy and spending and being responsible. They constantly create all kinds of seductive ways for you to get cards, give it to you, and then within two or three years, you have built up a debt so high that most of them down there don't be will not be able to pay for that debt down there within their lifetime. But this is encouraged, and people know this. And um, again, they make it look like you're the bad guy because, you know, you have personal responsibility. You decided to do it, so therefore you should pay for it. And to Bob, you said something about um, going to prison uh, behind debt. They, 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 they still doing it in the forms of right now, one of the things they're doing today is they look at medical bills. You know how difficult it is to pay off medical bills because medical bills are so inflated and so expensive. Now, if you owe medical bills and not paying it, you are right. They're going at your personal assets and taking this. And this is not something new. This is something they had done years ago. And remember, they once stated that what has ever been successful, they will never give that away. So I'm just wanting to speak to this concept, panel, in terms of the role and the importance of putting people in debt. Because without doing that, it will really, this system will really be in crisis. Brother Anthony, Hackey, yeah. Moses, well, well, the, the, the problem, the problem, Brother Africa, is, is a bit more insidious than, than, than you describe it. The problem not so much that the young people are vulnerable in terms of being manipulated, uh, you know, to you know, by get these cards. The problem is that these kids have certain value systems, certain expectations that if they go to college, that they're going to get a job, a decent job, live a decent life. Of course, those of us who understand the fundamental systemic changes that have been taking place over the last the last 15 years, we understand it's a pipe dream. But nonetheless, young people believe that, and so therefore they go to college. They're willing to go in debt because the position is that well, if I go to college, once I get a degree, I'm gonna get a job making good money, and I can pay off my debt. Not understanding that it just doesn't work that way. Uh, I used to work that way. You know, 30, 30, 40 years ago, it doesn't work that way anymore. And so, young people don't often understand the the the, the gravity of the situation when they when they assume those credit cards. Uh, that's the thing. But just in terms of when we talk about the overall debt in society in this in in, in America, one of the things uh, when we talk about consumer debt, we got to talk about credit cards. We also got to talk about um, uh, vehicles. Uh, we also got to talk about um, um, credit cards, vehicles, and housing, uh, in particular mortgages. And so the reason why these prices are inflated is simply because you have a situation where you have too few people have access to all the money. 
So anytime you have a situation where few people have access to all the money, what happens is that those people tend to hoard the money. They don't invest the money. They tend to invest it in offshore accounts, which means that it creates a deficit in terms of the system. In terms of the system, so this this, this deficit they created has to be filled. So the question is. Where the revenue is going to come from in terms of the government need to function? Where it's going to come from those 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 items that people need to survive? People need vehicle to survive. Okay, to get around, you 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 got to have a car. You know, uh, you know, particularly if you live in a rural area, even in cities you need cars because they even cutting the transportation in terms of buses. You need a car in terms of just to get to work. Uh, in terms of um, you know credit cards. Uh, one of the things recently, they talked about the fact that uh, in, 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 about half the people in society in America uh, in consumer debt. I think they talk about the average consumer debt being about a little over $6,000. Uh, that's the average. So clearly, people, just in terms of maintaining their, 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 living, their standard of living, people are borrowing in order to try to attempt to keep up. Again, this is all part of the conditioning process in which people think that you've got to have certain things in terms of existence. But that's, 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 that plays right into the hands in terms, of, in terms of the elite. As you said, Brother Africa, that's precisely what they want, because they want you in debt because they can hit you with the interest, keep, keep hitting you with the interest. You're in all kinds of hidden charges. And so that's precisely what they want. Uh, so, I, so I think, uh, you know, so also when we talk about, you know, um, you know student debt, uh, when we talk about in terms of, you know, people, you know kids enrolling in these universities, uh, one thing you have to understand, when we talk about this question in terms of unemployment and people think, that unemployment is something that uh, that uh, that can be measured accurately. But the bottom line is that when you talk about unemployment, you talk about contrived statistics. So the numbers that they give you has nothing to do with reality. Those numbers are contrived. They tell you the number of people unemployed uh, are based upon uh, um, some, some nefarious notion, you know, that they can accurately count everybody who doesn't have a job. When reality is that people who people you know who are not looking for jobs not even counted. People who are who are work one hour a week are in Canada fully fully employed. Uh, people who are seasonal workers who work two or three months out of the year are counted as fully employed, and so that gets obscured. So people who go to college is believing that you know the possible in terms of real employment exists because the statistics says that if I go to university and get this degree, I'm gonna get a job, make a nice money, and I'm gonna live well. It's all a pipe dream. So we have to discourage this this kind of thinking to get people to think hard and fast in terms of. Not hard and fast, but, but but clearly in terms of how you know the economy works and who benefits from this economy, because in this current economy, we gotta understand that the name of the game is austerity. It's all about the wealth and maximizing profit at all expense. So you have a situation in Germany where the people are talking about building homes, building building apartments and homes for everybody in Germany. Well, you know you know the U.S., the U.K., and France gave Germany hell for even daring to do that? In other words, what they're saying is that in order for us to prosper, we need those people desperate and borrowing and doing all those kind of things so that we can profit off of them and we can make lots and lots of money. But if you create it easier for them and they don't have to do that, particularly when it comes to housing, then what you mean is that you makes it impossible for us to make money. And we don't want that kind of scenario. We want you to keep them in a position where they have to borrow where they have to, they have to use credit. They have to do all these kind of things in terms of making it possible for us to come in, uh, you know, and uh, provide that for them at a great, at a great interest rate. So clearly, you know, uh, there's a lot of, un- there's, there's a lot of we have to do in terms of getting people to adequately understand how the system operates, who benefits from the way the system operates, and understand that all the stuff that you're being told on television has no reality, has no basis in terms of reality. 
is all based upon political maneuvering. It has no basis in reality. So we have to get that point to people who sort of begin to understand, you know, that when you make these choices in terms of you know, whether you're going to school, whether you can use those credit cards, or whether you can buy that, that automobile, understand that, uh, you know, there are, there are certain realities that you must confront before you do those. And so we have to have those discussions. I agree, and the thing, and the, and it's best to have those discussions even before uh, an individual starts college, because if you wait until then, then it's kind of too late, because they're already caught in that trap where they they indebt themselves and they promise that if they get this degree, then they'll get a job making X amount of dollars a year and they'll be able to afford that. It's a trap. And uh, and also it's made worse by the fact that a lot of the financial aid is in the form of loans, not uh, not uh, grants and worth studying more, but primarily in the form of loans. So it makes it even more difficult for the current student, you know, to to avoid falling into, into that debt trap. And you know what? What the, another irony is that when, when people get those degrees, either they're overly qualified for the jobs that currently exist, or they're underqualified for the jobs that exist. So it's a catch twenty-two. I mean, what are you going to do? So this is it's a hell of a game that they play, but nonetheless, people tend to believe the game. So when they tell them that the possibility in terms of getting a job, you know, starting off with with six to eighty thousand dollars a year. Tell them that with a degree you can do that. People would they really believe that? Of course, once they graduate and find themselves, you know, working at McDonald's or or, or wherever, trying to survive, then it comes the realization that they were duped. So Brother Anthony's right. So this kind of discussion had to take place prior, you know, to 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 you know to college. This this should take place in junior high school. People should be talking to children in junior high school in terms of economics and understanding how this thing works. It's not to say that you want to discourage kids. You want kids to go to, to go to higher learning. You want them to go to universities. You want them to go. You just want them to understand that in going, understanding that the choices that you make at the university in terms of from what you're going to major in, you know, uh, um, you know, you know, the plan in terms of getting to that university, you should have some idea in terms of how you're going to, how you're going to do that. And so we, you know, so we definitely encourage kids to go to the universities. But the same token, we want them to be realistic and understand. It has a much broader system in place, and the system is not going to tell you the truth. It's not designed to tell you the truth. Uh, if, in fact, if it told you the truth, then everyone in the, in the country would understand how it works. And one thing those positions of power don't want, they don't want the masses of people in the society to understand how things work economically. They don't want them to understand that. And so, therefore, that information is, is excluded. I mean, you can always find it. You can read the Wall Street Journal or the Barron's Report. You know, um, they'll tell you exactly what they're doing. I mean, they'll tell you they use economic you know, jargon. But once you cut to the economic jargon by doing a little study, then it becomes clear to you precisely what they're doing and why they're doing it. So it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's an outrageous game that they play. But nonetheless, they play it well. And so now we have to educate uh, our, our, the youth in terms of how the game is played because it, it's, it's, it's their livelihood, it's their future we're talking about here. But you know, for, for that employment situation, is educationally. Um, they set up scenario where they say when their own among themselves where they're only very a lending number of jobs available anyway. 
They encourage people to all want to concentrate in areas where they are very limited number of jobs, and that is good because in that way, yeah, planning planning means of filling these particular limited positions. And also at the same time, you can keep the wages down low too because you have many people fighting for very few jobs. So it's, it's, it's all a trick game. People need to understand what's going on with the system. Let's move forward and just talk a little bit about Brother Anthony. You talk a little bit about you attending a recent Kwanzaa activity um, this week, and you're talking about the principles of Kwanzaa. And if those principles could be um, imbued or taken in collectively, collectively as a people, as as oppressed people, what kind of impact you think it will have on the system? Because remember, one of the things I think in terms of when we talk about this old question of um, economic pressure when it comes to our people, they have institutions such as what they call European holidays that we bind to and we act upon in terms of, you know, how they help present a picture, present a picture in terms of what and how we should act as it relates to these institutions. For example, Christmas is really a holiday that will give toward uh, materialism, buying things to make money, again, to put you back in debt. Mm-hmm. Just, just this question, New Year's. What do we do on New Year's? Go out, spend money, entertain, get drunk, travel. It's money, again, materialism stuff. What do we do? Right. What we do for so-called Easter, the rebirth of, of, of the, of, you know, of Jesus Christ, quote unquote. What do we mm-hmm. do for Easter? Again, buying things, going places. That's a good, good. It's a good. It's a good holiday to, to for us when we were coming up. Every Easter, if we didn't do nothing else, everybody had to get a new suit to go to church. Why? So we fall into these European holidays as a mental genocide. It plays into all these schemes that we just talking about. But if we really understood the essence and the concept of these principles of Kwanzaa, how would that change those narratives in terms of their behavior and impact on a system like this? Now, to, to Brother Anthony and the rest of the panelists, I'd like to hear your um, response to that. Go ahead, Brother Anthony. Well, certainly. Uh, well, if we, if we put those into practice on a regular basis, not just around the holiday. But, for example, uh, take the principle of umoja, which is unity. And it means unity in the family, in the race, in the nation, in the community. If we put that to practice, that, would ha- that means that we, w- w- that we, w- we w- would unite with re- regardless of what our individual differences are. And that would help us achieve organization because unity presupposes organization. And uh, so if we organ- if we uh, tried to work together more and, uh, and put less emphasis on individualism and more on collectivism, which is another aspect of, uh, 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 of Dengu Sasaba, in other words, those seven principles, if taken together, as uh, uh, if we tried to live those out, 
then that would help us be better organized and 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 be more self-sufficient as a community in the fact that we would uh uh you know spend more money among ourselves and uh we would uh, and we would generate the resources needed in order to make our communities sustainable but because we lack a permanent political organization we're not able to put that into practice and that's where we fall short and that is because uh there uh there's this emphasis on the great individual or the great leader instead of understanding the principles of collectiv- uh, collectivism, which would lead to be- us being organized as a people. Yeah, well, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but the, 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 the fundamental problem is this. We talk about the internalization of capitalist values. And so we talk about individualism, selfishness, lack of compassion, uh, exploitation. Keep in mind, these are just not values that are imbued among, the, uh, among the, the, the ruling class. These are also values that are pretty much uh, accepted or internalized you know, by the, the, the overwhelming number of people in society. And we talk about poor people, working class people as well. And so the problem is that how do we how do we get people to question those kind of values? It's a it's a difficult thing. Of course, one of the ways we can do it, we need institutions in terms of getting people to question their, their value system. Uh, the institutions are, are quite capable in terms of elevating you know certain certain values in terms of what is in the best interest of the community. So institutions are extremely important. But the question, of course, is how do we get people into those institutions? So it's a constant process in trying to get people to understand that those kind of values that you internalize, that selfishness, that greed, that avarice, that uh, exploitation of other human beings, to understand that those kind of values do nothing in terms of helping you build a strong community. Uh, one of the things that conservatives like to talk about, they say, well, if only, you know, we had strong black families, then everything would be okay. Well, you know, it's, it's ironic, though, but if, if you want strong black families, then one of the things you want to do, those, those, interests, those social systems, the impact on the family, uh, be the economic, social, political, the impacts on the family, you, it seems to me that you want to address those, those, those fundamental, those fundamental uh, discrepancies. But strange enough, conservatives don't want to talk about that. They, they just want to talk about the fact that it's just in a strong black family and everything's going to be okay. But then the moment you ask, okay, well, you got these institutions that, that, that are diametrically opposed to the interests of these black families, what can we do in terms of, uh, you know, uh, limiting the, their influence in the community? Then conservatives don't have anything to say. The reason they don't have anything to say is because in the heart of their hearts, what they want to be, they, they see themselves as the quintessential American. And so they don't have a problem in terms of the individualism, the, the, the apathy, the exploitation of other human beings or the, the preying on other human beings. They don't see a problem with that. They see those values as sort of organic or sort of natural. And so this is the fundamental problem that we're having. So it's an ongoing struggle, Brother Africa, in terms of but it's a learning process, and we, we keep talking about this. We just started. We've been talking about this since they brought our, our ancestors here from Africa. We've been saying that for the longest time, and, you know, we still continue to talk about it. And I suspect in uh, 50 years we'll still be talking about it. Uh, you know, but uh, so clearly, you know, um, there, there's, there, is, there, there is much critique, self-critique that has to take place 
if we're going to move forward as, as, as a people. And if we did internalize in Guza Saba, those seven principles of Kwanzaa, that would be great. That would be fantastic. Uh, you know, um, but unfortunately, uh, a lot of individuals, a lot of brothers and sisters who practice Guza, who, who said they practice Guza Saba, maintain those kind of values which are, which are antithetical to the interests, you know, of unity among our people or certainly creating conditions that are favorable to, you know, ensuring our young people grow up to be the best they can be. So clearly it's a very difficult situation, Brother Africa, and, and I'll conclude with that. Anyone else want to take a stand? If not, what we're going to do is we're going to pause for the call, take a station break. When we come back, we want to see just a little bit on the Brother Browder, Khalid Browder case, and then we'll go to our theme tonight, which is dealing with planning and controlling that force. You listen to Africa on the move. We're going to pause for the calls when we come back. We want to talk about this whole question of, they used to say, I wonder what it was like during slavery time. And when recently I had a chance to see the documentary on the story of Khalif Browder, it brought back so many things during so-called child slavery that our people were under. And, you know, you know, that's the saying, the more things change, the more remains the same. We're going to talk about this a little bit. We need to raise consciousness well in our people in the world in terms of what are we really doing when we're looking at this criminal justice system and this question of the uh, prison industrial complex system that exists when it comes to our people, not just in the U.S., but around the world. We'll be right back. We'd like for you to tune in by calling 323-679-0841. So let's follow for this calls and... When we come back, we will discuss Brother Browder, and then we'll go to our theme, Planning and Controlling by Force. We'll be right back.
you know, it was unfortunate that a lot of the personnel at Rikers Island happened to be, you know, African. And the mere fact that they could subjugate and dehumanize other African people and not even be aware of it speaks values in terms of the ignorance that exists in the mind of so many people and also the question in terms of class. This notion that, in fact, that because they're incarcerated somehow means that they're just coming to earth, that they're, they're horrible people, doesn't necessarily follow. But nonetheless, uh, in terms of the class mindset, people tend to believe that because you're incarcerated uh, that you're a bad person. I remember talking to one young lady who's a Ph.D., and, um, and she was talking about she's very critical in terms of young people being in jail. And so I, and I tried to raise her that because people are charged doesn't necessarily mean that they're guilty of the crime they were charged with. And uh, she would say, what she said to me, she said, well, you're not in jail. You've never been in jail. And I said to her, not yet. You know, she looked at me like, you know, I don't think she understood what I was saying to her. Uh, but I was communicating to her that, listen, I understand that just by virtue in terms of critiquing the system, uh, uh, like Brother Mamir Abu-Jamal, uh, just, to, just to even critique the system means that uh, you run the risk in terms of paying the price in terms of incarceration simply because they don't want you to talk about certain realities in terms of the system. So I don't think she got the point when I said her, well, I, at this point I'm not, I'm not locked up yet. So I don't think she understood what I was saying to her. But in any event, the assumption is that, in that people who are incarcerated are horrible individuals, and it doesn't necessarily follow. And the mere fact that this young brother, you know, kept his humanity, he refused to let, allow anyone to subjugate his, his humanity. Uh, he wouldn't allow the inmates to do it, even though they would, I mean, like 10, 12 people at a time would gang up on him, you know, he fought back. Uh, guards would attempt to humiliate him. He would fight back. So, you know, you got to give it to this young brother. He had a strong sense in terms of his humanity. And that's what makes him so special. And it's just a shame, you know, that a young brother didn't, didn't live, you know, uh, you know, to be a leader. You know, because he had the qualities in terms of leader. And principles, I mean, this, this young brother had principles. Uh, so, but, but, get, but get back to your question, Brother Africa. You're absolutely correct. In terms of the horrid treatment, in terms of degradation, dehumanization, you know, by our ancestors, uh, the same kind of degradation and humanization uh, that's contributed to, uh, to, uh, contributable to, 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 to Af- people who find themselves incarcerated. The whole point is to deny their, them their humanity. And so one of the things that we're very, very clear on, that to the extent that people uh, acquiesce and they allow them to dehumanize them, then we understand that those people would do any and everything that the system demands of them. Those of us who understand our humanity, we fight back, even if that means incarceration, if it means our life, we continue to fight back, simply because we're not going to subjugate our humanity for anybody or any system. Uh, so, the brother had, so the brother got my hats off to the young brother in terms of, you know, his tenaciousness, in terms of, you know, understanding who he was as a human being. And when he left that prison after three years of being wrongfully kept in that prison, despite the fact that these judges know damn well after, after, after a year's time, you know, without charges, the young brother should have been released. But they wanted to send a message to him, so they kept him incarcerated. So three years, you know, he spent there. So eventually he got out, and he started going to college, and he started studying. And he began to understand the world around him, and he began to study. He started reading certain books in terms of what's going on in the world and why things exist as where they are. He was well on his way to perhaps coming, becoming the next Malcolm X. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, given the stress, uh, uh, the, uh, that facilitated the depression and, and the schizophrenia, the young brother hung himself. So he needed the opportunity in terms of fulfilling his mission you know, on this planet in terms of you know, being, becoming a great leader. But nonetheless, I, I encourage everybody to, by all means, go online and, and look at the Khalif Browder story. 
because if that doesn't change, if that doesn't make you understand how the system works, I guess there's nothing that we could say or nothing that we can produce is going to get you to understand just how vicious, just how cruel, just how insensitive the system really is and why it has to be changed. So I encourage people to, to, to go to check out that documentary, the Khalif Brada story. I want to add something uh, to that. Um, there was an incident that took place while he was in college uh, that uh, that opened the possibility that he could face jail again. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he committed suicide was he could he couldn't uh, he couldn't face the prospect of being subject to the torture he was subject to again. And that's why he he took he took he took his own life. And uh so uh so so the the conditions uh that uh that Africans are subject to in the penal system are horrendous. And uh he couldn't he couldn't face going through that again. And uh, and that's why he, uh, he 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 took his own life. And uh, you know and uh, you know and uh, you know we're not a suicidal people. So uh, the 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 torture uh, that 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 we, we that that our people undergo in the uh, prison industrial complex. Uh, must be horrendous. The you know, fact I, I was, that, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, brother Anthony. Yeah, that 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 they would uh, that 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 he could not face that going through that again. And uh, but uh, you know, so that you know that you know the the the, the you know the the isolation. He was in a hole a couple of times. And no one who who's who and he wasn't even he didn't even go for uh, go through trial. He was just being held. And because his family could not afford to make uh, to post bail for him or whatever, you know that's why he went through what he went through. You know one thing one thing is interesting though uh, when when you look at the size of the. Uh, the isolation uh, cell that he was put into, uh, supposedly for, for, to be punished. It's interesting, this, this, that same little cell, the same similar setup they had in Gory Island in Senegal, where they shipped Africans, they shipped their people you know, from Senegal. Uh, it's the same kind of setup, uh, with the exception that in Gory Island, that, 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 that island where they shipped their ancestors from, they had like anywhere from 60 to 100 people in a little cell. So that little cell that uh, um, Khalif Browder uh, was 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 housed in, our ancestors they put fifty to hundred of us in a in a similar kind of cinema sized cell. So this question in terms of dehumanization, uh, you know, uh, in terms of you know the total lack of uh, total lack of humanity among uh, people in positions of power, or when we talk about the system generally. It's very apparent, and so one of the things that we don't come to understand just how uh, insidious, just how vicious the system is, 
And if we somehow think that we can simply vote our way out in terms of trying to bring in a more humane system, then we need to think again. Ultimately, it's go- if, if we're going to do anything in terms of prevailing in the society, then what's going to happen is coming upon us to function as our own government. I think we have to. I think for a lot of people that's a pipe dream. But I think the bottom line is that barring, you know, uh, relocating to Africa, uh, the only real solution for African people, if you're going to stay here, lies in creating, you know, a, 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 a your own government, a government within a government right here in North, right here in North America. Because I just simply don't see, given the, the, the horrendous um, uh, uh, history, given the mindset of the capitalists, I don't see where they're going to wake up one day and say, you know what? You know, my behavior is totally off base. It's totally wrong. It's totally inhuman, and therefore I'm going to cease doing it. I don't see that happening. As a matter of fact, what's happening is that they're actually doubling down on the kind of the kind of uh, barbarism, the kind of uh, hatred, the kind of um, oppression, uh, or subject, or repression, the kind of subjugation of people is actually increasing. It's not decreasing. And so the guy in the White House is only symbolic of that. The reality is that we talk about a system. And so the system, of course, existed long before the orange menace came to power. So clearly, you know, uh, we, we, we got a problem in terms, of, in terms of the question around, you know, um, the, the capitalist inability to understand humanity. So I, I think that, um, you know, we, we, you know we, we, if, if we don't figure out some kind of way in terms of empowering ourselves, then I think the situation will be extremely um, um, traumatic for, for our people. Yeah, I just sort of like, you know, I often say uh, the captain's class have reduced this earth to a concept of a experiment lab. They have taken this world and made it into a, world, a, 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 a universal experiment lab and they're using people in a way like they are the other guinea pigs and their mice. I thought it would be interesting in the film where you talk about the signs of how stress can alter the, the 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 sales behavior of human beings by learning that for animals. And I think a lot of times when it when they create these kinds of situations, they are using us as as means of, of scientific experiments. Now, what I find real interesting. Um, panelists, and I think something we definitely have to look at is how we often are uh, sold into accepting jobs at the expense of, of of not caring anything about anybody, let alone your own people. Because I ask myself, what does it take to be a prosecutor? Look at the role and behavior of the prosecutor, prosecutors that was in this case. What does it take to be a judge? Look at the rule and behavior of the judges, particularly the African judges in this case. Look at the rule and behavior of the lawyers and definitely the rule of the prison guards. How in the heck you create people to be able to do this and they have no compassion at all? No compassion at all. And look at what they do to the so-called, and I'm not calling inmates, but look at what they do to the youth that are incarcerated in these small spaces and use them to become prey on each other. How do, they, how, how do you do that? 
Now, the ones that are interested in ranking islands, they ask the question, why were there not that many European um, youth in their prison? Can anybody speak to those factors? Respond to it? Give me your take on that. Yes. Uh, part of the reason why they're not that they weren't that there aren't that many European youth on Rikers Island is because uh, the unequal punishment for the for for summer offenses, whereas uh, uh, whereas Africans might be subject to. Uh, 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 are for often harsh subject to harsher sentencing than their European counterparts. And uh wanna uh add here an observation from Nkrumah regarding uh ideology as to why people behave the way they do. He pointed out that even though an ideology become comes from a particular class or segment of society it seeks to unite the whole of society in which it finds itself. So a lot of a, a lot of uh, a lot of Africans, especially ones that are educated, are imbued with bourgeois ideology, even though that ideology comes from the European ruling class. But it seeks to unite all the people in the society in which it finds itself. In other words, uh, capitalist ideology seeks to unite all people, regardless of their identity or class, behind the same set of objectives, which explains why, uh, why Africans often behave against their own interests a lot of times because they're imbued with European uh, uh, bourgeois ideas. And this is regardless of what, uh, 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 of what class or strata they come from. They're imbued with, the, uh, with, with these uh, enemy ideas. And that's why a lot of European, the, a lot of the African petty bourgeoisie Behave the way they do, even toward other Africans. And this is not limited to the U.S. It's also a worldwide phenomenon, which is why it's important when uh, when, when African societies obtain their independence that, in addition to taking control of the military, they have to take control of the educational system. Because it's through the educational system that the European ruling class perpetuates their ideas of society. Well, another way of putting it is uh, you got a situation where uh, where Africans try to out European the European. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. And anytime you the case. Huh? I agree with you, Haki. That's a good example description of that case. Yeah, but go ahead. Anytime, any time you have a situation when someone's perception is that based upon skin color, that what they have to say has more value than someone who like themselves, that's deep. 
psychologically. I mean, that's that's much. That's, I mean, it's just, it speaks for itself. You know, in terms of being brought up in a society in which people are brown who look like you, uh, they have to have. In terms of growing up, they they acquire a certain amount of legitimacy simply by virtue of being in the same space. And so, therefore, what they say and what they do does have an impact. It does happen in some influence. But if I can go up and I can discount all of that and identify with people who don't look nothing like me, uh, people who value systems totally different in mind in terms of my historical experiences, and say it's the only way to be, then psychologically I'm fucked up. That's the only way I can put it. Excuse my French. That's the only way I can put it. And so, and, and, and Brother Amph is right. It's a worldwide phenomenon. It's the reason why you got Africans sitting around here, you know, uh, you know, thinking in terms of emulating Europeans is a good thing, and not understanding that you got your own history, you got your own, you got your own culture, you got your own way of seeing the world, your own perceptions. Why not implement those things in terms of bringing about the kind of society you want to see? What is it about the European society that you think is so great, despite the fact that historically it's always undermined the development of, of the continent? What is it about that European system that you think is so great? That is, that is, has some benefit to Africa. So, so we speak. So this this mindset in terms of you know this kind of self hatred, uh, this slave mentality that exists in our people, is something that, that we, you know the bottom line is it's something that we have to fight with. My little my little four year old grand uh, uh, god granddaughter, she told me yesterday. She says, uh, she says to me, uh, Santa Claus is white. <laughs> I said what? <laughs> I said what? What did you try to say? She said Santa Claus is white. I said who told you that? She said, no, it is. Santa Claus is white. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I said no, no. In this neighborhood, Santa Claus is black. <laughs> she said, no, 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 no. Santa Claus is white. I said, wait a minute. I said, in this neighborhood, Santa Claus is black. It looks like you and me. She said, no, 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 they're white. So clearly at four years of age, already she's internalized the notion that certain things are preferable you know, uh, to, 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 to her own existence. So how do you, how do you justify that? There's a lot of work to be done in terms of deprogramming her to make her understand, get her to see, you know, that, uh, you know, that this notion that somehow that, that the lighter skin is preferable or somehow better uh, uh, is not the case. And so you got, so, so got the work cut out for her, you know, in terms of the, if, if that mother and that father don't stand up and edu- educate that child, she's going to grow up believing that stuff. Can you imagine by the time she's 12? Forget about it. I mean, this, her personality is pretty much set. And there's nothing you can tell her. So when she grew up and become a prosecutor, and she had such contempt for African people, despite the, the conditions that create the crime in the first place, then she's going to be one horrible prosecutor. And she can do it and think that she's doing something great. So this is the problem that, 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 we, that, we're, confront, that we're confronted with, um, Brother Africa. Uh, you know, and, 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 how do we, and how do you dissipate that slave mentality in our people? They're not going to sit there and talk to you about the slave mentality. They, they know that some of them are aware that they got it, but they're not going to talk about it. When you observe people, you see who got the slave mentality and who doesn't. When you talk to them, you know who has it and who doesn't. But it's not like they're going to sit there and they actually talk to you. They have some discourse around, you know, why do you have a slave mentality? They're not going to do that. So it's a very difficult situation, but we have to, we have to find some kind of way in terms of undermining or, 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 or not dissipate, but just totally eliminate the slave mentality that exists in our people. Because if we don't do it, and what, what, what it, all it means is that not only do we have to fight against a system that is dominated post our survival, but we have to fight against people who look like us, 
hooked up magically to our survival. So when you think about South Africa, and you think about the abuse of Africans in South Africa, for Africans in South Africa to turn around and supply with the white minority, uh, it was interesting. It was very interesting. Despite the, the mass killings, the shootings, the beatings, and all of that stuff, they sided with the white oppressor. Well, the solution to the solution to that, in terms as far as the African masses was concerned, well, when we see that, we're gonna we're gonna eradicate it. And what they did was they put a tire around the neck, put lighter fluid on it, and lit, set it on fire. They called it necklacing. That was their response in terms of listen. Since we can't talk to you about your slave mentality, let us show you what the consequences are of that slave mentality. Ironically, you know, uh, people in, in South Africa with that slave mentality, they, they, they kept it in check. They might have felt that way, but they weren't, going, they weren't going to broadcast that slave mentality. And they were very careful what they say, who they hung out with, their interactions with law enforcement, so forth and so on. So a very difficult situation, Brother Africa. I, I, I don't know what to do, but clearly the slave mentality, and if, we don't, and if we don't eradicate it, there's no way possible for our children to excel. Uh, and that's just the bottom line. So the question is, you know, how do we eradicate it? Eradicate it through political struggle. Difficult though it is, we have to uh, politically educate our people. And we can only do that if we get organized. And uh, once, and that's why we need permanent political organization, because uh, reforms won't do it. The days of reform have long passed. And it takes political education of the masses of our people, and that can only be done through political organization. You, yeah, you, 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 you absolutely, you're absolutely correct, Brother Anthony. There, it is political education. That's why I'm saying that in terms of reality is that we've been doing this since we came here in this country 500 years ago, and we continue to, 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 to attempt to organize our people around the realities. And I, like I said, like probably 50 years, we'll still be doing this in terms of trying to get our people to understand the reality. Uh, so all I'm saying is that I, I think that, you know, uh, whether we understand that this mentality exists, the question in terms of eradicating it is, is, is not as simplistic as we like to believe. Uh, you know, so I, I, I think that, uh, you know, you know, we can, we, can we, we, you know, we, we do what we can in terms of organizing our folks in terms of programs, in terms of discussions, in terms of, you know, uh, you know, program, uh, programs specifically dealing toward, you know, dealing with specific subjects. Uh, but ultimately, you know, in terms of dissipating that mentality, that mentality, which is the basis for their behavior, it, it gets a bit more complex. And so, you know, and you're right. If we could sustain organization, we could do it. But the problem is that we have to sustain organization, and we have to attract people who understand, who are at least trying to understand precisely what's going on. One sister said in the last program we did, she said she said that uh, she asked me, she said, "Now, uh, now, I want you to indoctrinate me into this pan-Africanism, brother. After you were there, <laughs> you were, brother. After you were there, she said, she, remember the sister? I might not have been. Remember, I said, I said, I said, brother, I said, Bruce, brother, after he can he can explain to you better than I can." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But her, she, she, she came to me. She said, "She said she want to be indoctrinated." And I said, "Indoctrinated." And, and I explained to sister, "We don't want to indoctrinate you. We want you to think. We want you to critically think. We don't want to tell yeah, you what exactly. you think." And the thing about it, though, and the thing about it, though, you know, you know, it, it's learning how to think critically and to and to see things for yourself. And it's something that uh, 
And it's something that, 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 that Malcolm X taught us when he was living nearly 50 years ago. That you, you know that, that that the key thing is to is to have the tools to think critically for yourself, and you draw and you can draw your own conclusions, and uh, and that's what drove Kwame Ture to go to Africa ultimately. You know he was in search of revolution, and uh, he indeed he he did indeed find it there. And it was uh, thanks to uh, Sister Shirley Graham Du Bois that he was introduced to Kwame Nkrumah and Secretary. And uh, and and that is how he came. To, he became the foremost uh, one of the foremost exponents of uh, uh, Pan Africanism. Yeah, and, yeah, you're right. Uh, we have to continue in that in those in, in, in those footsteps and try and advance it further. It's a difficult task, no question. But if you're a revolutionary, you run to struggle. You you don't run from it. Yeah, no, no question. But but what I'm get, what I'm getting at, I'm trying to figure out some more uh, some. Um, more insightful way, maybe perhaps more scientific in terms of trying to engage people with this mentality who are not predisposed to even talk about it. So when the sister says she wanted to be indoctrinated, what she was saying is that uh, essentially what she was saying, implying was the supposition was, well, you know, uh, what you're saying is not real. It's just something that you talk yourself into believing. And that was the supposition that she was making. And so that's why I smiled and I laughed. I said, no, sister, we're not, we're not trying to indoctrinate you. We want you to think critically. And so when you, and when you talk about Malcolm X in terms of his ability to think critically, the reason why the brother, some a couple of months back when the brother called in, and he was saying that uh, you know his position was that he had a problem in terms of you know uh, you know African people being kings and queens historically, and he didn't. And the supposition was that he didn't believe that was real. And then what came to mind was this question in terms of Malcolm X in terms of what he did in prison under those horrible conditions. He he understood, you know, that uh, there was another reality and that she wasn't aware of. And when the first thing he did was that he started reading the dictionary in terms of in order to understand what the hell is going on. So when you read, the words resonate. You understand precisely what people are saying. And so that's the first thing you got to do. And so that's what he did. And so as a result of that, he was able to critique, uh, you know, uh, situations. And so because he understood the argument that was being made. And so my, 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 my thing was that so it's possible in terms of impossible in terms of coming around, but Malcolm X unilaterally on his own decided that he wanted to know. That is extraordinary. Most people don't come to that realization. They don't I mean, you know, uh even when we sit there and we do programs and we we have the discussions and we try to get people to engage in critique, people are not comfortable with talking about things uh in which they don't they, they, they know little about simply because out of fear that if they say something that's wrong they're gonna be castigated. And the whole point is not to put anybody down for 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 for, uh, for an opinion that maybe is not not scientific. That's fine. That's part of the growth process. But if my question is, how do we get them to the point to even begin to question? See that that is the problem. So we understand that mass organization political struggle is just key. What choice do we have? I mean, the bottom line is, what choice do you have? In terms of your own, that's it. If you don't convince people that there's a problem, then clearly, without organization, it can't be resolved. So you really don't have a problem. I mean, I have a choice. Yeah, you don't have a choice, and so and so and so that 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 is that that is that is axiomatic. I mean, that's understandable. I mean, that's understood. 
But the problem is, what can we do in terms of, and what can we do in terms of uh, delivery? What can we do in terms of uh, creating a, 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 a narrative or creating condition which make it more favorable for people to speak up when they don't quite understand? Because if people got that slave mentality and they know they got a slave mentality, they're not likely to speak up, and that is a problem. So what can we do in terms of, you know, facilitating the conditions in which they're willing to speak up and say, I don't know, but I, I think this, I'm not clear, but I think this, and you can have a discussion in terms of some clarity. But you got to get to that point. That's all I'm saying. You, you, we we got to figure out some kind of way to get to that point. Because we're talking about eradicating the slave mentality. It's not, it's, 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 it's not as simplistic as sometimes we, 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 we talk. Rhetorically, but the bottom line is that when we talk about the slave mentality, it's not that simple in terms of dissipating. So people don't give it up easily. So this is the problem that we're confronted with in terms of you know. So you know we certainly we can stop the young people in terms of you know getting them to getting them getting them to question things. You know, while they're young, so when they grow up, they just naturally question things. But you're talking about somebody the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. Well, they're over seven. You can virtually forget about it. I mean, they're pretty much they're pretty much set. In terms of their perceptions, but you're talking about challenging, you know, people's people's world view. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. So, I'm, so what I'm raising is, what can we do in terms of on a on a, you know intellectual level? What can we do programmatically that would encourage people, you know, uh, you know, to while they may acknowledge that slave mentality, you know, subconsciously, they're willing to at least, you know, uh, to take some stand in terms of in hopes that that some clarity be provided. And that's that's the point, the only point that I'm making. Mm-hmm. You know, one other point I just think for our listening audience, I just want to try to concretize them a little bit around this question of, um, in terms of the indictment of this particular documentary, is it's just this whole notion. It hasn't changed since we've been here. It has nothing to do with the truth or justice. They picked this brother up. The system knew that they didn't have no witness that could collaborate their false imprisonment, but they did all they could to continue to deny them because of this philosophy. And we got to think about this because it could be our, 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 our family members tomorrow who will be victimized the same way. And that is, you can just be walking down the street and outright they say you did something. And you know you didn't do anything. So when you go to court, they know that if they say that you have done something and keep you incarcerated, at some point in time, they can get you to plea bargain and take a plea and say, look, say you did it and you can get out. But if you have convictions and principles, you have force with the choice of knowing that, you know, you're going to be in this in this institution for many years for something you didn't do. I mean, this whole concept of plea bargaining and these lawyers and judges using it as a tools to, again, to, co- to cover the truth up. They knew the board didn't do this and they didn't have evidence. But they also felt that if they continue to tell them to plea bargain, plea bargain and continue to keep them in jail, eventually you break down and say yes. And what he did was he really highlight all of the corruption and contradiction in this system. Mm. So the question becomes that we need to look at when we talk about the criminal justice system, at some point in time, the reality is we also may be faced with the same dilemma. And there are people every night, every day, 
in jail and going to jail behind the same methodology. How do we stop this madness? Well, we stop it uh, through um, through highlighting cases like Khalif Browder's, for one, and through permanent uh, political education and organization. I mean, this system thrives on on the on, on suppression of the truth and outright lies, and. Uh, you know, and and uh, and uh, you know they hope that, and and the hopes that Khalif Browder's story doesn't get out. People like him, people like uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Raymond uh, Seth Hayes, who made his transition real uh, uh, recently. You know, Robert Seth Hayes. You know who? Uh, you know, uh, people of uh, our political prisoners. Who who fought for uh, 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 the the system for a better way of life for our people? We gotta make sure that those people aren't forgotten, and we have to do uh, do everything with fine power to highlight those people that uh, you you know that that that, that fought for our freedom. And uh, I find it for that it's a difficult it's a difficult task, no question. But in an oppressive system like this, all we have is time. So we have to, you know, highlight uh, those and uh, and, and uh, you know educate our people about what they sacrificed, what they're doing, and why they did that. Why they made the sacrifices that they did, and in that way we raised the consciousness of our people to their humanity, and uh, in that process we will reach uh, people that'll be the future, uh, you know, leaders of our community. interesting feature of that particular document was it was very current updated in terms of some of the players that exist then and they exist today in terms of shaping and continuing the corruption in the system. You had to roll Donald Trump in there. Um, you had to roll with some of the local politicians in New York. And you even had what's that judge that owned that show three verdicts Three decision, one verdict. It's a Hispanic sister. Um, she's a judge on one of the talk shows. She's Italian. Um, yeah, Patricia she's Italian, Domingo. Right. Yeah, yeah. Patricia yeah, Domingo. Domingo. Yeah, Domingo. I, thought I, I, I thought her role was very interesting in terms of, um, you know, again, she clearly had no problem capitulating to the system and hanging her brother. And that's probably one of the things that she did to help, you know, get credit points. To get these, 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 these commercial talk shows, but I thought it was really interesting in terms of the continuation. You see some of the some of the players back then and looking at them today, in terms of that continual of supporting this unjust system process. 
So I just thought to listen to audience who haven't seen the documentary, you know, uh, please take a look at it, uh, learn from it, and don't continue to let this become the norm or become so um, unconscious of the realities of what your people are dealing with. You have no sense of how to react in any kind of shape, form, or measure. Do we see our brothers of Bob and Moses? Do y'all have any feedback or input that y'all like to share based on some of the things we have discussed around this case, around this issue? Well, I'll share um, something that people need to be cognizant of, especially when if it's a case like at least broader where you're a young person. Whatever you do, it's important you get somebody competent to represent you. And I say competent because having um, peers who have gone through the process of expulsion from school for one reason or another, anytime as a juvenile, when you go before a proceeding like that, which can be legal or semi-legal in nature, if you don't have representation, nine times out of ten it's treated like a kangaroo court where they're going to convict you or give you a punishment. If you don't have somebody that can actually present the facts and um, display your case as to why they need to reconsider what they're holding against you, you don't stand a chance. And I know that's unfortunate, but that's the nature of the beast. They will take children and feed them to the wolves. That's what happens. Based off of assumption. Now, consideration of the fact with this, based off of assumption, because you've been charged with X, Y, or Z, well, just, it's easier just to mark you guilty instead of considering the facts to come up with what the proper resolution should be. That is true, Jabari, but only one one issue with that is you're assuming people may have resources to get adequate representation. In many cases of our people, we just don't have the resources. And I think that's part of the structural Oppression that the system has set up, recognizing that dilemma, and this is how they plan and control and force us into doing things. You know, I guess I will. Anyone else would like to respond to Jabari's position, which is very important to try to get the best representation as possible. But how do you even do that? Because, like I said, structurally, when you someone trying to find someone to represent you. It's also a question of resources, and this is one of the problems he had. And to add to to this case, not only one of the problems he had, but as a result of it, not only did he end up dying, but his mother ended up dying because she was so stressed out, ended up dying with a heart attack behind it. So in case, two people died behind this unjust um, behavior. Panelist response? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the problem is, yeah, the problem. I think the problem. The problem is that you know we 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 have to acknowledge that you know incarcerating people is big business, and to that extent, it serves corporate interest. Uh, you know, then we understand that uh, what they they do it simply because of the benefit to do so. Uh, in terms of getting a qualified lawyer, one of the things when you when you talk about poor, you talk about public defenders. Clearly, the system understands that it's not about you know a reasonable defense. It's about the perception that you that you had a defense, and so therefore you have a defense attorney with maybe 200 cases, and you say to him, "Okay, defend this individual." The reality is that individual can't defend you. Not only they, they cannot defend you, but then you have investigators to investigate your case. 
So clearly you're earmarked, you know, for the for the penal system, and that's precisely what they want. So we have to understand that when we talk about how this, the, 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 the prison system operates, it's not broken. It's doing what it's supposed to do. And this is why people, people don't get it. They think it's somehow it's broken. It's not broken. It's doing what it's supposed to do. And this is why, you know, we, we should be able to foment some type of movement just around the prison, prison industrial complex. But it's, it's even, even in that context, you know, uh, it's, it's very difficult to get people to, to stand up, you know, even though disproportionately we impacted you know, by these, by these penal policies, you know, which criminalize, you know, African people, not because they did anything wrong, but simply because of the color of their skin. And so when we talk about, the, you know, the innocent people, innocent people who are in prison, you know, um, which, which, which criminologists put at, you know, about 60% of the people in prison are there innocently. They didn't do anything wrong. They were, they, they, they're, they're there as a result of, you know, some, over, over, some, some, some optimistic prosecutor, you know, who someone want to make a name for him or herself, or they're there because the prosecutors uh, conceal information that would have freed them, or they're there because for political reasons, because the whole system at large didn't like their politics, and so therefore they work, co- you know, cooperatively to make sure that this person gets railroaded into prison. So you talk about six or seven people sitting in prison who are not guilty of any damn thing. We talk about over 2.3 million people in the penal system in America. And nobody and nobody wouldn't take a stand and say this, this shit is crazy that we have to take a stand. It seems like that alone will get people riled up and people say, you know what? I got relatives, I got friends, I know people who are involved in that system, and so therefore, you know, this this, this implicit threat to me as an African person is very real. So I got no other choice but to get up and stand up. But in a sense, that's simplistic. People people don't operate that way, I suppose. Uh, so. Clearly, you know, uh, a lawyer is preferable if you can afford one. Uh, but if you can't afford one, the reality is that there's a high probability that if you don't plead, you're going to end up in some in some penitentiary. And that's precisely where the system is designed to function. I, I concur. Uh, let's say I think the only recourse in that case, that the individual to the extent that uh, that he or she has the ability to do research, be their own advocate. And uh, uh, let's see, because, um, because it is primarily your life that's at stake. And uh, a public defender, unfortunately, regardless of the outcome, still gets paid at the end of the day. And uh, so it is in your own interest to participate in your own defense as much as possible. Uh, you know, as impractical as that may sound, but uh, but but depending upon the system to vindicate you is uh, you know is even more um, you know it's even crazier. Because um, if you're if you're facing imprisonment, uh, it is in your own interest uh, to fight like hell to make sure uh, that 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 all the facts are considered and that and that you and that you uh, you know defend yourself to the extent that you're able. Because uh, a lot of public defenders, they're overwhelmed. They might have two or three hundred cases, and they're 
and they're fighting to, uh, you know, get those cleared as soon as possible, regardless of what happens to you, you know, the individual. And it's, and it's compounded by the, by, the, by the fact that they get paid per case. In a place like Virginia, I think it's something like uh, something like forty-eight dollars uh, a person. So they have a, a, a they have an incentive, you know, to plea uh, to do whatever in terms of disposing of that case because their livelihood depends on it. So again, this is the way the system operates: is to ensure that the the wholesale incarceration of poor people continues unabated. And so, you know, uh, and that's not going to change without, without mass organization with people, you know, confronting these systems. You know, um, and, and really fighting hard in terms of, you know, you know, in terms of trying to change these systems. Uh, no politician is going to take on that that challenge, because you know, number one, there is, number one, if they did that, they're going to bring bring a lot of enemies uh, their way. And if their and if their focus is about election, is about attaining status and money, then they're not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize their opportunity to do that. And by standing up and taking cases like in terms of the fundamental injustice as far as criminal justice is concerned, if that's going to invite enemies, uh, if that's going to make it poss- impossible for them to do what they want to do in terms of uh, obtaining that status, they simply, they simply ain't going to touch it. So it, it's, so it takes the people, the people who are intimately impacted by these policies to stand up and fight. So, you know, it's, you know I, I, I know it's cliche, I, you know, but the bottom line is that Organization is key to everything, and and that somehow we just got to get that point, convey that point, and we got to keep saying it. That people begin to say, "Oh, you know what? I, I get it now. I get it. I understand. Organization mm-hmm. is key. Let me move toward creating organizations in my neighborhood, my community." Uh, but that's the bottom line, though. So I will close with that. Here we have Brother Moses with us, and then to us, Brother Moses. Yeah. 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 And, and it's and it's also a response based upon what we just heard or some of the issues that we raised when it contacts of the judiciary system as it relates to this young brother being falsely accused. <laughs> uh, any thoughts or response you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, well, you know, the due process, you know, is is flawed. I mean, he should have been able to get a hearing and a judgment, uh a good a reasonable amount of time and so the whole system is flawed and in terms of the criminal justice system there uh, that's the main thing I see thank you yeah it was interesting how they continue to just continue to put out put out put out the case uh, for over three and a half years you know but um, brothers and sisters you know this is the reality if we are dealing with, but these realities were man created, and man created this, man can change it. So you want y'all to hear the call, become conscious, become organized, join an organization, and then fight these injustices. Let's transform and change, eradicate these oppressive systems. So at this point in time, what we're going to do is, our theme tonight is planning and controlling by force. This is part one. We're going to station break, and when we come back. <coughs> We're going to ask for some final thoughts from our panelists, and we'll continue the discussion next week. Let's fall for this cause, and we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon.
coercion and the state and government uh, is constantly uh, coercing us and uh, and uh, is in control of, of the capitalist system and keeping that in place and so we we you know it's it's never gonna just fall by itself. Uh, it's going to take some organization and effort on on the part of the working class. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Bavari, Jabari, your final thoughts for tonight. It's important that we really become intentional about organization in 2020 so that we can't have mechanisms to protect ourselves, especially the way um, false charges can arise against us. And if we don't have a proper defense, it can lead to us having very unfortunate circumstances, the likes of Police Browder and so many others who were nameless. It just was fortunate this brother situation was able to come to light, but I really feel for those that are those who went through a similar situation that remain nameless and the story wasn't told. Thank you, Brother Zabari. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is it is important more than ever that all Africans join a political organization that is working for our people's liberation. Uh, to learn more about the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, please call us at 202 246 4896 or visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org Thank you, Brother Evan, for your participation today's program and we go to Brother Haki your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Haki I think we have to ask ourselves, is America an oligarchy or a democracy? Uh, clearly, uh, when we talk about the inordinate amount of power that corporations have, uh, clearly we're talking about an oligarchy. So there's a notion that it's a democracy, that in fact the will of the people uh, it, uh, it wins. That's totally erroneous. In fact, they recently did a report in which they talked about the fact that the kind of power that corporations, ha- corporations hold in America is not only unprecedented, uh, but it makes it virtually damn near impossible for the powerless or for the masses of people to have any sway whatsoever in terms of the policies that are taking place in the society. And any time you have a ruling like Citizens United, where you say that um, that your ability to speak is based upon how much money you have, then clearly what you're saying is that those individuals with large sums of money, those corporate powers with large, large bank accounts, they have more say-so than you as an individual citizen in the society. So clearly we have to understand it and see it for what it is, and if, if in fact it's an oligarchy, then understanding that you know, we got a fight before us, and no amount of wishful thinking is going to change that reality. So we need organization. And as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix, and because that is the key in terms of longevity you know, in the society. And you have a good night. You're the same, Brother Africa. We thank you. And to our listening audience, you can listen to Africa on the Move. It's a weekly program where you hear every Sunday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. Please share this information with your friends, families, and network. 
you come to seek to speak truth to power and to provide you information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation, to help liberate the people and to help liberate humanity from all the various forms of oppression. If you have any views or comments you would like to make concerning this program or others, please email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail to, gmail com. Until next time, we'll close out with a message from Brother Kwame Ture, and we will end with Mother Africa. So we thank you for your support, and let's always remember to strive to go forward with our back with our and help the Kwanzaa to all those who celebrate it. This has been Africa on the Moon. You're one black man who went to a good, essentially white high school in the city of New York. That's you right. obviously had had a good education. That's a good many of the people who work with you here in SNCC can say the same thing. And we're saying that... And you're a black man who came from a New York ghetto. And we're saying that there's a system that allows for one or two black people to get out. And that that's the rationale for keeping other black people down. And it has nothing to do with the unwillingness or inability of the Negro to help himself and to work hard. That's the rationale, that the reason why black people aren't this is because they're lazy, unambitious, stupid, have rhythm, and they eat watermelon. You call on the black man to refuse to respond to his draft call. That's correct. And we will continue to do so while there's breath in our bodies. Do you really believe that the military policies of the United States are designed to exterminate the black man, as you've said? I most certainly do. I look at the recent statement by Racist McNamara, who says that 30% of the people that are going to be drafted now under his new system are going to be black people. And that's nothing more than black urban removal. The white liberal who supported civil rights for so long with time and effort and money, what is your feeling about him? Well, I think that there's no reason why they should stop supporting the movement now. I certainly feel that if they're genuinely interested in black people, and since black people have charted a course, they believe in that program, they will continue to give to it. They need more white people to civilize whites. They need them to civilize the savages in Cicero who throw rocks and bricks at a peaceful and lovable black man like Dr. Martin Luther King, who would not even hurt a fly. And that's very important, because our uncles and our fathers and our older brothers died in World War I fighting Nazism to protect the Poles, and those same Poles turn around and throw rocks and bricks at us after we died to save their lives. And people talk about we are savages. Mr. Carmichael, if you had the chance to stand up in front of the white community and say anything you desired, say to him, understand me, white man, what would you say? I would say, understand yourself, white man, that the white man's burden should not have been preached in Africa, but it should have been preached among you that you need now to civilize yourself. You have moved to destroy and disrupt. You have taken people away. You have broken down their systems and you have called all that civilization. And we who have suffered at this are now saying to you, 
You are the killers of the dreams. You are the savages. Yes, it is you who have always been uncivilized. Civilize yourself. Thank you.